You are listening to the Innovators Behind Disruption, a podcast series brought to you by Evolve ETFs. The world is evolving. Your investments should too. Hi there, this is Raj Lala, and I'm joined by Stu Wolf. Stu's actually a cybersecurity expert. Uh, he's at Nippon uh, Telegraph and Telephone. He's got over 25 years of experience in the cybersecurity space and has had positions at companies like IBM and Cisco. Stuart, thanks a lot for your time today. Great. Thank you for having me. So this is a podcast, but we're, we're recording it on the day that the news broke uh, for Capital One's major breach. Why don't you give us your perspective on 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 this situation? You know, it's interesting. There's uh, there's misconfigured devices is, is, a, is a huge problem. And that my understanding is that was the big issue here with a misconfigured web application firewall. Um, and, and you know, this is something that that's a big issue where we can't necessarily put devices in and assume that everything uh, is okay, that we're protected, that default settings are okay, or that we didn't make a misconfiguration when we actually set the device up. And on top of that, we also have to have a layer of defense in, in depth strategy, so we can't rely on one type of technology. And I don't necessarily know in the sense of it, what else, what other security controls they had implemented within the environment, and that's, that hasn't been announced in the news. Uh, but it's not an uncommon thing to happen, uh, but definitely a uh, segmented uh, approach with the right visibility for attacks that happen in, in your environment is, is critical. So, for example, uh, critical data uh, that was actually stolen, if it was segmented, um, which it may be, I, I really don't know their architecture either, um, that, uh, that would help also um, having the right technologies in place to be able to see what's going on in your environment, not only north-south traffic, but also east-west traffic is really critical. And so there's a, there's a big trend in the industry right now um, to look at packet data rather than just data coming from logs to be able to determine what's actually going on in your network because quite often we don't know we don't know what we don't know, and the reality is that it can take up to a, at least 170 days to discover what's inside our environment that we didn't know was actually there and, and stealing from us. So really, really critical to be able to detect that. So you know, I think in this in this instance, they had a misconfiguration. It's unfortunate. Uh, there's technologies you can run against these devices to determine their current configuration. Uh, a health check is what we call it, to determine whether or not uh, they actually need to be hardened. Um, and a lot of it uh, ties into proper procedures for uh, hardening devices or releasing them into production. Uh, that may have been in place, and it could just be an unfortunate misconfiguration that happened after post-deployment. I really don't have any background into that information. But you can certainly see that there's no such thing as 100% security, no matter how many controls we implement, and uh, we always have to be on guard. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's too early to tell because I guess we'll see more details unfold uh, through this whole postmortem, but I think you know a lot of people are actually paralleling it uh, to the to the big Equifax hack coming up to almost two years ago. Uh, and uh, what was your? I mean, I've talked to a lot of cybersecurity people, and they feel that um, Equifax uh, did a very poor job in terms of their cybersecurity uh, strategy. What was? What's your perspective uh, on that? Yeah, I mean, the, the whole thing with uh, Equifax, again, you know, the data breaches are really, really um, uh, a common thing, and a, that's really unfortunate. Um, and the Equifax breach was obviously uh, detrimental. Um, 
by the way, with our Canadian breach laws now, too, as well, we have to notify on breaches. So that's also uh, encouraging Canadian organizations to be uh, more diligent. And uh, they obviously now have to tell when a breach happens, so we'll have a lot more data on that kind of stuff. I believe it's like $150,000 per uh, individual employee of an organization that it, they could pay a penalty. So you have to self-report. Uh, it's not really clear on the follow-on remediation requirements around that. But, I mean, we're seeing data breaches happen all over the place, right? So definitely uh, critical in those that have lack of facts. Uh, there's been so many that have happened over, over the last while. And it's, the problem is only getting worse. It's, it's not necessarily getting any better, right? So, so definitely uh, important hygiene is critical. Protecting your environments, having the right monitoring in place is, is all really, really important. Yeah. Um, as you know, we launched uh, Cybersecurity ETF. And, you know, one of the reasons why we launched that fund was taking a look at the long-term view of, uh, the amount of cybercrime coupled with, of course, uh, the amount of increased spending in cybersecurity services. Can you talk about, like, what you expect, like, global security spending uh, on cybersecurity to be uh, over the next few years? So the, the global spend in cybersecurity is um, really increasing over the over the and it's, it's actually always been increasing. It's it's not um, it's not something that is that is going down, which is really good. Um, what we're actually seeing is in 2017, there's somewhere around 117 billion uh, that was uh, spent in cybersecurity, and Statistics Canada said somewhere around 14 billion Canadian, which I guess is somewhere around like 12% of global spending came from Canada. Um, forecasts are somewhere around 173 billion by 2022. You'll see a lot of different sort of that numbers out there, and 231 uh, billion by 2025. But the point is that we are seeing an, an increase in spending. Um, they also statistics say that 85% of organizations in Canada plan to increase spending on cyber defense, um, which is a good thing because historically, you know, when I first started out in this business 20 years ago, security was an afterthought. We didn't really have dedicated budgets for security, which is typically a portion of the IT budget, um, and nor dedicated people focused on security. So uh, as the boards are becoming more aware of the problem, we're starting to dedicate more funding towards that. But definitely when you're, for sure. And you're out there talking to a lot of corporate execs, probably CEOs of big organizations uh, as well. What are they saying to you in terms of their uh, concerns related to cybercrime and, and and having enough cybersecurity in their firms? You know, they're they're worried about uh, not only brand name protection, but also how do they enable the business and do that securely. And that's really the biggest concern, actually, of the CISO and the large organizations is they have staffing shortages. There's uh, 3 billion people shortage in, in the security field, and they're having trouble finding staff, retaining staff. Um, the business needs to evolve, um, and as they do that, they need to do that securely. But the, the CISOs are worried about uh, trying to keep up as the business goes ahead, and they may go ahead without security if security is not fast enough to to keep up. So there's 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 it, it, it's definitely a, a concern to be able to do things securely, maintain shareholder value is is also very critical. Um, the boards are much more interested now in hearing from CEOs on their security posture, uh, their security roadmap, how they're actually planning on enabling the business. And security is also being seen as more of a business enabler now, which we didn't really see before. So everything is very much outcomes-based. It's not technology for the sake of technology. They want to understand what they want to do as a business and then make sure that the business is aware of how security can actually help to, to enable them and be able to maintain their risk posture. So you mentioned that, that talent shortage. 
Uh, and I've seen that stat too, where there's three million job vacancies out there. Does that lead to a lot of organizations contracting out a big portion of their cybersecurity work? Absolutely. I mean, there's just a few pieces, right? Number one, um, they will uh, outsource more commodity type skills. Uh, they will also bring in specialists that they don't need necessarily people there full time. And also, if you're doing like ongoing managed operations, for example, the, the, the biggest advantage of that uh, offering is, is the threat intelligence behind that. And um, it's really hard for an organization to try to attract 600 threat researchers that are looking at malicious traffic and threats that are going on within the world. So you really need to purchase that as a service versus trying to build that capability. And if it's not your core business, do you really necessarily really want to build that, right? So we are definitely seeing with a shortage out there that more and more companies are uh, looking at uh, different types of models where they're uh, going more of a less of a CapEx, more of an OpEx model, and also uh, outsourcing those capabilities and hiring third-party consultants to help them uh, with their strategy as well as move move their initiatives forward. So a friend of mine um, is one of the principals at one of the big cybersecurity firms, and he mentioned to me that, um, you know, our Canadian banks typically will have millions of attempted breaches uh, on a daily basis. So the way some of the banks work with external parties is, you know, that external party will comb through all the all of those attempted breaches and then bring to the internal cybersecurity staff's attention kind of the top 10 or top 50 uh, attempted breaches that they need to be most aware of. Is that is that happening more and more often? Yeah, I mean, that's the standard approach, right? So the idea is um, using uh, correlation, we can take all the events in that we see within the network that could be through uh, packets that we capture, that could be through logs that we take in, that we ingest. Um, what we do is we, we normalize those logs, so we, we, we convert all the logs to be sort of the similar same format, and what we that allows us to then correlate that data and figure out exactly what's going on. And then on top of that, uh, we leverage, uh, in our company, we, we see 43% of the world's traffic, so uh, um, we take all that data that we see and we're able to uh, correlate and figure out where the next threats are coming from um, and be able to apply more intelligence when we're actually looking at really what's going on. And that allows us to take a ton of different events that may be false positives um, and also we can prioritize the ones that are most critical and then perhaps even group them together so that you do get a lot less that you actually need to action. Um, and, and, that, and that's very common in, uh, in managed services approach. Right? You don't want to have to look through billions of alerts. You need technology to be able to do that. And then you need smart analysts to be able to look through and pick out the ones that you actually need to address right away and then prioritize the ones that are most critical based on risk. Mm. So let's talk, uh, let's, let's talk about the other side, which is obviously cyber attacks. What's the biggest shift that you've been seeing over the last couple of years in terms of sophistication of cyber attacks? Um, we're def definitely more uh, more well funded for sure. I mean that's 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 pretty common news out there. But we're also seeing a lot of attacks now um, against things, right? So uh, medical devices around industrial espionage. Um, NATO actually uh, came up with a resolution, I believe, a couple of years ago that you're now allowed to launch a physical attack in response to a cyber attack. So we're starting to see you know, uh, definitely a, a progression in the sophistication of attacks and also the allowed responses to that um, are, are, are definitely accelerating. Um, 
so I would say that the attacks are becoming are increasingly being more stealthy. They they take a lot a lot uh, more of a deeper skill set to be able to figure out what's going on. Uh, behavioral statistical analysis, um, uh, machine learning are all the technologies that we use to be able to supplement the analyst when they're looking at these problems uh, to be able to keep up on on the attacks that are happening. The challenges we're seeing, stuff like we just saw in in with the breach that just happened and 6 million Canadians impacted, this stuff is going on all the time and and, uh, uh, definitely increased uh, um, diligence in looking for uh, the problems is really, really, uh, is really important. Uh, Make sure that we're aware of the uh, issues and being able to uh, inform our users uh, that they need to be careful and do testing with our users too so that they can protect themselves against, for example, phishing attacks. Uh, we saw WannaCry that impacted the healthcare with ransomware. And we're also seeing now ransomware attacks against uh, stuff that wasn't really traditional. So, for example, we're seeing um, radiology machines in hospitals being, being attacked and actually being locked versus just regular PCs. So we're starting to see the attacks become much more widespread, especially as we move into a Internet of Things world and also on the industrial side as well. So that it's, a, it's, a, it's an increasing problem. So let's talk about that. You mentioned healthcare and, and even uh, municipalities. What what areas do you feel when you kind of survey the whole landscape, whether it be sectors or industries that are, in your opinion, not taking cybercrime seriously enough and not spending enough um, on cybersecurity services? Because we've seen a number of municipalities uh, get targeted, not just south of the border, but it, it recently happened here. In Canada, it's probably happening happening more often than you hear about hospitals and the healthcare industry. I mean, are those two examples of areas where, you know, not enough is being spent? I know you might say that not enough is being spent anywhere, but what industries do you think and sectors have been the weakest? So, I mean, I think there's a couple of things, right? Number one, it's it, you are right, it's not enough money being spent, um, but it's also not necessarily that, that people don't necessarily care. They may not necessarily understand the magnitude of the problem and being able to then show once they see the magnitude of the problem, that then they can then take that forward and get budget approval, which is a lot easier if you actually say, hey, you know, Today, I actually see these machines, they're uh, doing callbacks to the Internet, they're exfiltrating data to the dark web that we didn't know was there. We have these all these devices that we didn't think were actually connected uh, that are misconfigured or maybe not patched properly, um, and they're all potentially vulnerable, and this is the impact that we have to our, to our users or in healthcare impact to human life. Um, and once we start to see that kind of analysis, that then allows us to be able to really communicate the message back that, hey, there is a problem, and, and typically we'll find that there is funding uh, when you put it forward that way. Right? Um, it won't, it'll be more difficult to get funding for initiatives if you're uh, not showing that there's a problem, that it's really more, you know, other typically regulatory and audit pushes stuff. Um, sure. But if you're not really showing that there's there's a kind of an issue and it's more of a, this is nice to do, um, then they're not going to take that as seriously, right? So, uh, you know, and especially like, so, you know, industries as far as uh, not spending a not spending a ton right now, but they are, we're starting to see an increase that is definitely in the healthcare side, the utility side, uh, oil and gas, manufacturing, um, all these environments uh, have uh, major impacts. And we saw actually um, in, uh, in uh, Europe, there was uh, an impact to a steel manufacturing company that uh, lost $40 million uh, over three weeks. And if you look at the impact on these industrial environments, 
Um, when they, it's not like a PC where you can just turn it back on. These industrial environments can take three weeks to come back online because you have to ensure the correct processing of equipment. Um, and uh, so they, they actually lose a lot of money from downtime. Um, then we have another company uh, that's in the uh, oil and gas uh, distribution business. They lose out of $50,000 an hour times 24 hours a day times three weeks tends to be quite a bit of money. So spending a, a smaller amount on security protections, uh, although, as I said, there's not 100% security out there, uh, will definitely help to lower your risk posture. So we are seeing increasing spending in areas where there wasn't before. Uh, definitely a lot more uptake on the uh, Internet of Things, the industrial security side, um, and then on traditional business, of course, as well, on financial and other industries. I'm also seeing more stories about, you know, like municipalities and other organizations refusing to pay the ransom uh, requests. Is that becoming more prevalent right now, or is it just maybe those are the stories that that uh, that are making more news? So the interesting thing is, and, and I have seen that, uh, because the issue is that if you pay the ransom request, you're funding the bad guys, right? Yeah. And so you don't really want to fund the bad guys. But at the same time, like I've seen companies, for example, where um, they've literally been completely locked, uh, had all their backups encrypted, their desktops or servers, and if they were to do a restore from backup, they would be put back two years previously where they were today. And that's a huge impact. So the recommendation in that kind of scenario was pay to unlock at least a couple of machines that you can then start to rebuild your environments and then put controls in place to prevent that from happening again. Um, you also uh, uh, see that, I saw that in the healthcare side, actually in an area where I live, where um, they had, uh, in, the, in the healthcare side, they had uh, 17,000 machines that were impacted by ransomware. And they didn't pay as well. They went through a manually re-image the machines. But the flip side is the impact to human life, right? Because you can't do a patient intake in emergency and be able to figure out what medication somebody's allergic to if they can't speak because you can't access the data because your machine is locked, right? right. Um, you have to cancel surgeries because you can't access the computers that you need while you're performing surgery because they were ransomware infected. So, you know, and then people die, right? So there's, there's, there's a real impact to human life in that type of environment. Um, but so we are seeing like people not paying uh, because they don't want to fund them, but at the same time, Sometimes you do have to to be able to recover portions of your business. And there is, is there, is there more often than not honor among thieves to return the data? So we're also seeing now too where uh, that's actually not happening, and that mm. uh, even though you're paying the ransom, uh, they won't always uh, give you the unlock code to be able to recover your data. And that, that's really the the ugly side of that, right? There's there's no guarantee when you're dealing with criminals that in fact they are going to actually. Uh, help you in the end, right? Right. Let's talk about industrial cybersecurity and, and why it's important. Sure. So industrial security, um, think about uh, manufacturing environments or uh, nuclear factories, uh, oil and gas. Um, there's a ton of equipment that um, is purchased on a 30-year life cycle that um, was was bought years before they were even connected to the Internet that are not like your typical servers and PCs and stuff we see on the IT side of the house because these are in manufacturing environments, for example. Um, but these devices are now being connected to the Internet, and they're now connected to the IT side of the house, and so they're now vulnerable uh, to being attacked. And so we've seen that with uh, with uh, um, you know, attacking nuclear factories, um, attack, attacking cities, 
um, causing uh, uh, power outages. Um, these are all like real impacts that we've seen actually recently in the news as well. Um, imagine if somebody hacked our um, our streetlights right, and caused them to change at random in North America, what kind of chaos that would, change, would, would cause. Yeah. So really what we want to be able to do is we want to be able to, since these devices that were legacy are now being connected to the Internet, we want to make sure that they're in fact secure. Um, a lot of them can't encrypt, they can't produce logs, uh, they don't, you can't change passwords. Um, and the whole mentality within the operations environment is different than the IT environment. In IT environment, we're worried about encrypting the data, making sure that's, that's ultimately the most important thing that we can do on the, on the industrial side of the business. I think that includes like healthcare as well. Um, really focused around the correct processing of equipment, right? So it's really about uptime and making sure that the manufacturing is continuing, that you're providing healthcare to your patients, that you're um, uh, operating your nuclear factories at peak capacity with zero downtime. That's really kind of where they're focused, not necessarily on the protection of the data itself. Um, but, you know, we are seeing now increasing attacks within that sector that, that can be potentially very dangerous. Um, and so that's where we're seeing now a big uh, uptake in protections around that and technologies that you can, that are non-invasive, uh, that allow us to be able to figure out what is actually connected um, to the Internet within these environments uh, because they don't connect in the way that traditional IT systems would. They use different protocols. They communicate differently. Um, so we need specialized technology to be able to do that um, and then also be able to uh, manage those environments for security events to be able to then notify when something happens and also have some automation so that we can then protect those environments automatically um, through linkages into, into vendor technology that we put into these environments to protect ourselves. So very much a, uh, it's very much a growing industry out there. So let's close off with your top two or three predictions for the cybersecurity industry over the next few years. Yeah, so, you know, um, really the top three things I think that, you know, we're going to definitely see an increased attacks against things as we become more interconnected with smart cities, as we become more connected with our critical infrastructure. Uh, there's definitely going to be more increased attacks against uh, those that we're seeing, uh, for example, people uh, attacking um, uh, nest monitors and houses or smart cameras um, or, and launching a denial of service attacks from your household appliances, right? So it's, it's really kind of new and creative ways of, of launching attacks against, uh, against um, uh, different companies that are out there as well as against our infrastructure. We're also going to see more around you know, the nation-state attacks as well, right? So this is kind of the new um, cyber warfare um, and using AI to try to counter those attacks as well and identify vulnerabilities in machine learning to try to help us protect us against those nation-state attacks. Um, and then uh, we're also going to obviously have a continued um, shortage of cybersecurity skills and uh, increased education requirements as well for those cybersecurity people to be able to keep up with the sophistication of attacks. I think it's really critical, and I, I, you know, I speak a lot actually at, uh, at schools and, and um to, you know, younger people that are looking at getting into the field, and it's it's really critical that that people do take a look at cybersecurity as a, as a career option because there is a a big demand out there, and it's all almost becoming a uh, safety issue that we don't have enough security people out there. So, great. Thanks for your time today, Stu. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Evolve ETFs podcast. If you like this podcast, please like this post. 
subscribe to this channel by clicking on the subscribe button. Ensure to sign up for our newsletter by visiting our website, EvolveETFs.com. You have been listening to the Innovators Behind Disruption, a podcast series brought to you by Evolve ETFs. Remain educated. Be informed. Sign up for our newsletter and learn more at EvolveETFs.com.